Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Monday, May 1st. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. The national strike is over. The Public Service Alliance of Canada reached a tentative contract agreement overnight with the Treasury Board, covering more than 120,000 federal government workers across the country who've been on the picket line for nearly two weeks. They've decided on remote work that it will be an individual conversation between each manager and each employee. So that does leave the discretion with leadership in terms of whether or not uh, public servants can work from home, Um, but these conversations are not going to be easy. Canada stops air evacuations out of Sudan. More than 200 Canadians left behind must find another way out. Canada and our allies coordinated closely to evacuate as many people as possible from that location for as long as possible. But because of the dangerous conditions and in concert with decisions made by our allies, no further Canadian flights are planned from the Wadi Sedna airfield. The Alberta election is called today, sending Albertans to the polls on May 29th. And the Liberals will meet this week for their first in-person policy convention since before the pandemic. So I'm now with Rob Russo on this rainy morning with the big news. He's the former bureau chief of the CBC Parliamentary Bureau and now a big, deep thinking political analyst. Now, what do you think of this big news, Rob, about the strike being over? I I love breaking news. This this one uh, is not a huge surprise, I don't think. They they weren't that far apart. Um, and, And it's interesting. The interesting compromise is... Uh, the the one on remote work. Um, they've, they've decided on remote work that it will be an individual conversation between each manager and each employee. So that does leave um, the discretion with, with leadership in terms of whether or not uh, public servants can work from home. Um, but these conversations are not going to be easy. Um, um, workers across the country, public service workers, have become quite accustomed to staying at home. They save money staying at home. It, it, so not only do they save it, that actually puts money in, into their pocket. It makes their life less stressful. It makes it easier for those with children to, uh, to arrange for childcare. Uh, so, so now we have many versions of these discussions, these talks that are going to have to happen across the country. On, on on wages, they weren't that far apart. Now, mm. my my, under, my understanding is it, it, it's uh, it, it it's it's pretty close to what the union was asking for. Is yeah, that 12. right? Twelve point six percent increase over four years. I think they were asking for uh, I think it was thirteen over three. Yeah. Uh, I'm not about yeah. to do the math, but it it sounds pretty good. Yeah, uh, and. So, well, what that does, it, it does not keep them uh, current with, with inflation. Um, but we now have the number. The, the, the number is a little bit more than 3% a year for all, for all workers. They're all going to be using that as a target. Now, uh, as a target for the government, not so bad because they want to try and keep inflation between 2 and 3%. Um, inflation was 6.8% last year. It's running at about 4.3% so far this year. Next year is scheduled to be 3%, according to forecast. We don't know for sure. But that pretty much keeps um, uh, this wage increase from being too inflationary from what I can, what I can see. I, I, I also am not an economist, 
But but that's the number now that every other bargaining unit, every other union is going to be going for. Now, important to note, uh, there are 155,000 people who were on strike. This only covers 120,000 people. Uh, the uh, the uh, workers at the Canada Revenue Agency were asking for over 20% oh, wow. over the three-year period. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so the, the pressure will now be on them now that they've seen their colleagues so, uh, settle for a lot less than the almost 7% that they were asking for a year. Right. Now, the other thing these, um, these uh, workers uh, have, not the CRA workers, but the one who've now got a tentative deal, is a 2,500 lump sum uh, payment, which uh, has to add to the mix. And Chris Aylward, in his, uh, the union head in his uh, note, said, this agreement delivers important gains for our members that will set the bar for all workers in Canada, which is kind of what you just mentioned. Everybody will be looking at this. Right. And the other thing, there's a political calculus to this as well, Julie. Um, you know, the, the uh, this, this was threatening to play into Pierre Poilievre's Canada is broken theme. Uh, didn't quite get to that. I, I, I would think that apart from areas of the country like Summerside, like Sudbury, um, uh, that, that have regional centers, we didn't really feel the bite of this strike. Um, so we never got to the Canada's broken theme. Um, it, was, it was interesting to watch uh, Mr. Poiliev attack uh, the government on this because he is seeking uh, um, union votes as well. He's seeking workers' votes as well. Not necessarily white-collar uh, union uh, workers like like the public servants, but he had to tread very, very carefully. Um, he, he was attacking the government's stewardship of the talks, not attacking necessarily the, the union's demands. It will be see if, interesting to see if he casts this as, as uh, expensive, uh, yes. too expensive for the government. Um, and if that's the case, then he's also sending a signal that he has limits uh, to which he would go to support the rights of workers as well. Right. And that was one thing that uh, the prime minister dodged, because if he had to bring in back to work legislation, Pierre Poilier was his only dance partner. You can imagine those two scorpions in a jar trying to figure <laughs> out how to how to work this out. But yes, it'll be interesting to see how Pierre Polyev characterizes it. You know, you've thrown all this money at them, whatever. We'll see. We'll see how he plays it. Um, OK, so that's big news. And uh, if you're stuck in Sudan and never got out, uh, it's not good news for sure. Today, as uh, the airport is not going to be used to get flights out, what happens to those Canadians that are still stuck there? We figure there's probably a um, a little bit over 200. That's the last calculation I saw. Yeah. Uh, let's start with a, a tiny sliver of what might be some hopeful news this morning. The, the ceasefire has been extended for another 72 hours this morning in Sudan. That's the good news. The bad news, though, just piles up. Um, despite the ceasefire, fighting seems to be intensifying there. Uh, that's going to make it, even with the ceasefire, less, far less likely that flights are going to get out. If you're a Canadian, you're now being told to take a, a dangerous 800-kilometer uh, um, trip over land by road. And, mm-hmm. and they're not highways. Okay, right. these are terrible roads. There's checkpoints uh, by both sides along this road. The United States is, has taken to um, uh, trying to get its civilians and citizens out using armed drones 
to accompany these uh, these convoys. They're effectively convoys with right. some military some military support. But just imagine you're in one of these convoys and you've got these armed drones uh, hovering over you. The reason they're there is because they're afraid that fighting is going to ensue or the convoys are going to be attacked. Attacked, and yeah. The, the drones are, are deadly. However, uh, we all know what happens to civilians when they're caught in the crossfire of, of uh, military conflict. It's mm-hmm. a very, very scary trip. It would be a scary trip if it was if, if there if there was uh, no, no, conflict. no drones. And no, exactly. Yes, it's, yeah. it's a it's an arduous journey. You talk mm-hmm. to anybody who has traveled it. It's very, very difficult. It takes days and days and days. Like I said, these are not paved superhighways. A lot of them are, are smaller roads and the checkpoints are all the way along the way. There's some meanness going on at the checkpoints as well. So it's for the 230 or so Canadians who have said they still want to get out. It's going to be very grim days ahead. Right. And then if they're lucky to make it to Port Sudan, there there may be a Canadian ship there to take them. There may be a plane. They don't even know for sure. So um uh, just a quick point, though, to mention that Melanie Jolie has the foreign affairs minister is in Kenya. Now, I don't know if this is a public relations exercise. What is she expected to do there? Uh, that, that's a, that's a really good question. Look, uh, you, you never blame anybody for, for showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so let, let's see what you can do. If you if you're closer to the ground, you usually get a better sense of what's going on on the ground. Uh, and and you can act accordingly. It it it, affect, it does affect your decision making. But you know, unless you can lift people out of there uh, safely, it's it's going to be very very different, uh, very very difficult. And and uh, being there though gives one an unmistakable sense uh, of of the harrowing nature mm-hmm. of what's going on. Uh, and uh, uh, and for the rest of the world too, like Sudan is, I think Africa's second biggest country. Mm-hmm. If 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 it disintegrates in, into civil war, it has a huge impact on all of the neighbors around it in in Eastern Africa. This this could be a very very dangerous time for the continent of Africa. Right. Well, not only for the for the countries around it, the immigration minister Sean Fraser has already said, if you are Sudanese, if you're in Canada. We're, you know, you're, you don't have to go back. We'll, we'll see if we, you know, get you a work permit. Uh, like these conflicts spill over into Canada, whether it's Afghanistan, Syria, Sudan, the whole world feels it in some way, right? But yeah. Um, um, yeah. so, Rob, let's talk about um, political uh, parties and what they're up to. And right now in Alberta, the, the election writ is going to be dropped today. Albertans will be going to the, the polls at the end of the month. So, There'll be a lot to watch, a lot to listen for, and I'm sure Ottawa will be listening too. What what what, uh, what do you see playing out with these two big titans in Alberta? Well, as as somebody who who loves history and and uh, and loves political history, I, I'm fascinated by this the, the the stories of resurrection. And we may have in in either case there will be uh, a, a rather riveting story of resurrection. Uh, first of all, Danielle Smith. Everybody thought that she was finished after she took her wild rose party, disintegrated in 2015 and went across the aisle and joined Jim Prentice's progressive conservatives. She went out into the wilderness. Everybody thought she was done, uh, that she wasn't trustworthy, that she had no principles. And here she finds herself now with a chance at at, at redemption, Uh, uh, a, a kind of a great political redemption story. 
uh, uh, Rachel Notley is very much the same way. Uh, like this is a rare, rare trick. Uh, Miss Notley is is trying to is trying to turn in in Alberta. The last provincial premier, I, I I was thinking and racking my my brains. I mean, we all remember Pierre Trudeau briefly going into opposition, saying initially he was going to be opposition leader and then quitting and coming back without ever having left the job of opposition leader. That was that was 1979. Um, but, and he came uh, back in 1980, you know, after the very yes. short Joe Clark reign, exactly. That, and, and and brought brought uh, Canada its constitution, its charter of rights. So just a momentous. Um, uh, time in office as a result of a very rare comeback. Um, Madam Notley's is almost as rare. Uh, nobody's done it, I don't think, since Alan Blakeney did it in Saskatchewan in, in 1986. Be before that, I think you've got to go back to like Maurice Duplessis is, is, is the last time this happened in the, in the 1930s. I mean, people talk about Robert Bourassa doing it, leaving and coming back, but he never stayed in the office. He, he was never the opposition mm -hmm. leader mm -hmm. for, uh, uh, you know, we, we have in Canada right now a one and done kind, uh, kind of error. Like you get one shot at office, Aaron O'Toole, you're done. Andrew Shear, you're done. You get one and done, that's it. Uh, and uh, and that's what happened to Rachel Notley, one and done, right? But but, but she stayed in the office. Right. She stayed in exactly. the office as a yep. and and you know it's it's a bitter bitter thing <clears throat> to go from power to opposition leader. It's a very difficult thing. That's why most of them don't hang around. And the other reason is they get shoved out rather roughly. <laughs> um, so for somebody to stay in, and I think most people would agree that she was an effective leader of the opposition. Uh, was responsible in part for not entirely uh, for for uh, um, making life very difficult for Jason Kenney in Alberta. It, it, again, a remarkable comeback story if she becomes uh, premier of Alberta as well. Well, Daniel Smith says if you vote for Rachel Notley, you're voting for uh, Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh. Like uh, so, let's do the flip. Like, who would the Trudeau government be hoping is going to win here? Oh, well, you got to know they're they're hoping for Ms. Notley, right? Um, that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy for Justin Trudeau. They disagree on a whole bunch of things about uh, about the, the oil and gas industry. Uh, but regional tensions, um, um, we would expect, would, would, would be slackened somewhat under Ms. Notley. Um, uh, um, Daniel Smith has her own problems uh, on on the right as well. There there is an upstart right wing movement that's promising to make life difficult for her if um, if she doesn't follow through on 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 some of her promises. Are usually uh, lumped in into the group that they call you know freedom, um, and and so uh, she she has to be very careful. One of the one of the leaders of this kind of fringe right. Uh, wing movement. I think it's called Take Back Alberta. Uh, she was at that uh, that person's wedding a few months ago, so she's going to be accused of of being in cahoots with uh, with people who are on the far right of Alberta politics. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see whether that kind of um, right wing um, sort of anti government. Um, anti-vaccine, mm -hmm. uh, 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 that that kind of streak of Alberta uh, has the influence that it says it's going to have organizationally. And what are they doing? That group, uh, they say independently of the United Conservative Party, is looking at those 
ridings around the north of Calgary, where they say the provincial uh, election will be won and lost. They're targeting their organization efforts there, getting people in churches, getting Mennonites who don't normally vote very much uh, organized and mobilized, and those ridings that they say will decide the election. Right, and that's what a lot of people are saying. It's all going to come down to uh, to Calgary. What happens with those Calgary ridings? Uh, that's where a lot of the battles are going to take place. Um, so, Rob, we'll be watching that for sure in the next few weeks. So let's just end on the Liberals meeting in convention at the end of the week. That's their first um, face-to-face convention, I think, since 2018, certainly before the pandemic. Um, so what should we be looking for there? Well, the, the prime minister makes his speech and then he goes off to the coronation of King Charles. So, so you know what? Uh, there's There are some interesting resolutions, uh, guaranteed that almost none of them are, are going to pass. And even if they did, the leader is, is not bound by them. Uh, they're party resolutions, but they're not party policy. You know what I'm going to be looking for, Julie? I'm going to be looking for all of those unannounced leadership uh, candidates yeah. who who are who are going to who are going to be showing up there they would never do anything like formally uh, uh, hold parties at saying hey you know come and see but watch them watch their entourages watch their entrances into the hall uh, you know you you we we were talking about Melanie Jolie a, a, a couple of minutes ago she she is one who has thought to have um, uh, really improved her performance since the election uh, where she was seen as a stout defender of, uh, of the Liberals' language policy in the province of Quebec. Uh, she certainly upped her profile. François-Philippe Champagne has, has delivered the goods in terms of Volkswagen and some other industries' investment in Canada. Watch watch for him. Mark Carney says he's going to be going. Uh, he told our old colleague, Bashi uh, Capellas, that, that he was going to the convention. He's not uh, he says a speech, he's, though. <laughs> no, he says he's listen. going to... He's going to support the prime minister is what he's he's mm-hmm. do, he's doing. Uh, but but watch the, the people around them. Watch how they react, because, you know, uh, the these leadership campaigns, um, they 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 don't spring up overnight. They're they're always embryonic campaigns going. So look for the, the muscle and sinew, the people who are around some of these candidates who would act as muscle and sinew. In case the prime minister decides to change his mind and not run again in 2025. Well, as we all know, when the um, the cat's away, the mice will play. So when he's off at the coronation, he better, you know, look over his shoulder, make sure he's not being dethroned. But <laughs> uh, right. but we'll be yeah, we'll be watching for that for sure, because, uh, you know, he's been there for a while. He says he's staying, but, you know, people sniff the air and see what see what they hear there. So we'll just finish quickly on. Uh, like a big American guest going to be there, Hillary Clinton. That, that that's right, uh, and it's interesting that they they chose Hillary Clinton. Why did they choose her? Well, you can bet that they're going to be asking her uh, about the fight over abortion in the United States and and the rise of Trumpism in the United States, and they're going to be using her in a way to warn of what might spill over the border. Uh, and, and if she doesn't mention Pierre Poilievre by name, you can bet that she'll be doing it by inference. Um, she'll say, uh, you know, that 49th parallel, make sure that you buttress it against some of the cons- conservative ideas that are running rampant in the United States. Okay. And then, of course, Jean Chrétien giving a speech at night. So there'll be 
I think Friday night. So there'll be lots of political rhetoric to listen to. Um, and, you know, if uh, nothing on Netflix, you'll be watching that. Well, sure. yeah. And uh, Ottawa might actually wake up for a few hours on Thursday <laughs> and Friday night. Okay. Well, we're awake anyway. So, Rob, yeah. it was great talking to you. Uh, Rob, of course, is a political analyst and the former bureau chief for the Ottawa Parliamentary Bureau. I'm not interested in King Charles. I love the Queen. I love other members of the family, but I have no interest in King Charles. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt argues it's time for Canada to cut its ties with the monarchy. He writes, Like any relationship where awkward conversations are delayed, Canadians need to have an adult conversation about the monarchy's role in our country. Since the last coronation in 1953, our nation has fundamentally changed. We're larger, stronger, and more diverse. As a people, we are more committed to and proud of being a mosaic and not a melting pot than we are our new king. But the same rules apply as in any personal relationship. There is never a good time to leave. Always one more Christmas, one more family event, but the truth is sometimes one party just outgrows the other and it comes time to leave. That time is now. In the Globe and Mail, Peter Phillips argues inflation is getting better. We just need to stop looking at year-over-year numbers. He writes, the headline news in Canada is how high inflation has been punishing families. While we have undoubtedly had a bout of inflation, there is little evidence in the data that we have much of a problem going forward. The challenge we have is that we are mostly talking about rear view mirror data. If we keep looking at only this one indicator of inflation, governments are going to make some major policy mistakes and workers, consumers and companies will misjudge the market. But if we shorten the focal distance, we can use the seasonally adjusted measure of consumer prices, which allows us to get a sense of month-to-month -month changes. Using this data, we see that inflation may be more under control than we often acknowledge. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend question period before speaking with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will be touring Saguenay-Lac-Saint-Jean. And in Toronto, Mental Health Minister Carolyn Bennett will make an announcement related to the mental health of 2SL GBTQ1 plus communities. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May 1st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.